Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears, we will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast and get bonus content as a thank you, please check us out at patreon.com fatjoy. I am so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, lovelies. Welcome back to the Fat Joy podcast. Um, I'm just going to take a breath because let me tell you who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the Aubrey Gordon who, oh, I'm going to get emotional, Aubrey. I didn't think I would. Um, Who has deeply impacted my life with the Maintenance Phase podcast, with her books, Many of you know Aubrey because, you know, you've written to me saying, oh my God, you're interviewing Aubrey Gordon. (laughs) So here it is. The moment has arrived. Aubrey is here. And Aubrey, you're one of my fat elders. You're one of the people that just paved the way for my own liberation journey. I know the journey for many others have been paved by you. Um, you're the person I send skeptics in my life to. I send them links to episodes. I'm like, you want to talk about BMA? BMI, BMA, BMI, here's the episode. You want to talk about obesity? Here's the episode. And you just, you've created a body of work that is, is invaluable from my perspective as a fat person trying to live in a world of anti-fatness. And it's, it's profound. So I feel so deeply honored, total fangirling out here to speak with you. And I just welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is like such a joy. And I was telling you before we started recording, I have been on this like book tour and media bender where I'm like, almost exclusively talking to like thin people who have made their careers in like health and wellness reporting. So I'm like, oh, I get to talk to another fat person and it's about joy. Like, yes, I am in. (laughs) Let's go. Yeah. So I'm like over the moon to be here. This is like so fun and lovely. Yay. All right. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is uh, Aubrey Gordon. Um, <laughs> I was about to be like, I'm 39. I'm a Scorpio. Like, <laughs> yes, please. Are you a Scorpio? I am a Scorpio. <gasps> You're it's... totally a Scorpio. <laughs> it's a fire. I'm going to ask you about that because that's the thing that people say to me often. and I don't totally know what it means. <laughs> yeah. A Scorpio is fiery, fiery and like Big, like, or can, I mean, can be obviously these are stereotypes, but fiery, big personality, like wants to move mountains in this world. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, here's what I know about myself. Scorpio, sun, Capricorn, moon, and Aquarius rising. So a little bit of like space alien, like Martian. (laughs) Love it. 
<laughs> I don't know how we got to talking about astrology so quickly. I did it, and I don't know why. Um, <laughs> uh, I am a writer uh, and author of a couple of books. Most recently, You Just Need to Lose Weight and 19 Other Myths About Fat People. Holding it up for those on YouTube. Oh, it's so good. And my little stickies. <laughs> And I co-host a podcast called Maintenance Phase with uh, Michael Hobbs. That's who I am and what I'm about. Hello. I love it. And can we just say hello to Michael Hobbs for a second? Hello to Michael Hobbs. What a treat. What a treat that guy is. Yeah, the two of you together, is you're such a good mix. Oh, I, I really like it and I feel it. He is like such an enjoyable, just like energy to be around to me. Like I just really value it. And he is like one of very few um, people who is not fat and has not been fat in their like adult life who I'll just be like, hey, can you maybe knock that off? And I'll be like, oh, seriously? Okay. (laughs) I love it. And just do it. And just fucking do it. It's like so wonderful. That's also like, listen, the bar should be higher than that at some point (laughs) for me slash us collectively. But also, like, oh, my God, that is a rarity in in my world. I don't know about yours. It's a total rarity, especially for, yeah, for a non-fat person. It makes me wonder. I mean, again, I feel like I know him because I listen to the podcast. But because he says his mom was fat and his mom struggled with weight her whole life. So I wonder if there's something in that for him where he's just like, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Totally. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think, again, like, I wish we weren't in this place. But we are, it seems like, largely in this place where, like, the thin people who are most predisposed to like listen to and believe fat people are thin people who've been close to fat people and have seen all of the ways that we fucking try to fit into this like extremely restrictive mold all of the things that we do at all of the lengths that we go to and still see that not work um like I wish there were more thin people out in the world who were like that's a good point I should listen to this person who has this life experience that I don't have but like yeah, without having to witness trauma. Totally. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if, if our stories were just believed? I feel like all of anti-oppression <laughs> would benefit. We would be just head and shoulders above where we are now if people were just like, how about I just believe this person when they tell me what their life is like? Hmm. I heard there there was a great, oh, I wish I could remember who the speaker was. Um, I think it was a, it was a black uh, anti-racist activist who talked about, there was the question, you know, what, what should, you know, non-BIPOC people do? People living in non-marginalized bodies, what should we do? And this person, it was so simple. It was act as if, act as if this is happening to you. And I was just like, oh, right. Could you imagine? Act as if you can't go to the restaurant and sit in the chair. Act as if the doctor ignore, ignores what you're actually there for and starts talking to you about your body size. It just act as if. Totally. And like, you know, it feels like that's like some of our show as well as like backfilling and proving a bunch of shit that we shouldn't have to backfill and prove, right? Like that just like, here's like 87 research papers that uphold what your fat friend told you like 10 years ago. What if you just took the shortcut and listened to that person? <laughs> Can we get to that point? We got a ways to go. Yeah, we do. Well, and it's so connected to what you talk about in your book, You Just Need to Lose Weight and 19 Other Myths About Fat People, which is this contradiction that that is baked into 
I, I'm just going to, I mean, there's bigger than this, but what I was thinking is like, this is the contradiction that's baked into the minds of non-fat people about fat people. And it's these myths that get concocted and then believed. And it's really hard to break them. I have been trying. You have been trying. Everyone's been trying. And I just, I don't, I have not found the key, which is why I just send everyone to maintenance phase. And I'm like, if I, I take, listen to Aubrey and Michael. <laughs> Well, and then like, don't stop with us, right? Like, like we are absolutely designed to be your starter conversation, not the end of the conversation and not the sum total of the conversation. So like, for sure, come on down, hear us out and then use that to then go on and listen to other fat people and listen to more perspectives and like, get real right with the idea that there's not a single fat perspective on any given issue and there's not a singular fat experience and you know what i mean like yeah like let this be not your i learned it all podcast but your indication that you have not learned a lot of things and there's a lot more out there whoa that's my hope yeah well and i love how you've got lots of action items in the book too we'll talk about that as well yeah i think that's really helpful like if you want to learn more if you want to do some stuff here are some ideas so i thought that was a great ad oh thank you yeah 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 yeah, my hope is to sort of like move folks uh, through my work and onto other people's work yeah. <laughs> quickly and effectively um, so that more people are reading more work and listening to more work and watching more work by fat people. That's my that's my great hope. Right. I love that. And I also think, too, about like finding voices that resonate with them. You know, like there's so many fat voices out there. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I want to ask my second question, which we've bypassed by about 10, which is great. I love it. This is my favorite kind of <laughs> interview, <laughs> which is what is your relationship to the word fat? Oof. Uh, for me, my relationship to the word fat is like better than my relationship to any other descriptor that people use for fat people. I find that Listen, there are a lot of people out in the world who are really afraid to use that word, mostly people who have not been fat or fat people who are sort of like politicized and haven't figured out that they can ask for more and better yet, right? But who can and should and will, you know? My personal experience, this is not a broad statement about people who use the word or afraid to use the word fat in general, but like in my own life, what I have found is that the people who are most afraid to use the word fat are the people who use euphemisms and then treat me worse than just about anybody else. So like the number of people who go, sweetie, you're not fat, you're just fluffy. Anyway, we can't have you working in the fat, in the front, we gotta have you in the back. Cause you know, like <sighs> we've got an image to maintain or whatever, like, but it is like almost always someone who thinks they're doing me a kindness by using a word that feels less charged to them without realizing that they're doing that for their own comfort, not for me. And then they go on to do something that feels like either like sort of just like generally insulting or like materially harmful. Like that feels really closely linked to me. So like I uh, have a hard time getting on board in a deep way with folks who are like hanging on to that fear because it just feels like that's so much of my life. That's so much of my work. If you can't even just like, let me call myself that, like, this is going to be a short road that we're on together. 
You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere for the relationship to go. How about you? How would you describe your word, your relationship to the word fat? I mean, I'm sure you've talked about it. I'm sure you've talked about it. Oh, that. I don't know if I have on the pod. And then I'll answer, but then I want to come back to you and talk about, actually, let's start with you and then we'll come back to me. I see what I did. I turned it around. Um, <laughs> how did the transition to being okay with that word fat go? Like, when did when did this consciousness around the word and having it be okay happen for you? I would say, so listen, uh, I remember when it wasn't and then I remember when it was. And I don't know that I remember the point of transition where I was like, oh, this is actually okay. The point which it wasn't was um, I was uh, in high school dating my first girlfriend and she had Marilyn Wan's book fatso and had um there was like a group uh a group in portland oregon and there was a group of um radical super fat cheerleaders who would like show up at like events like feminist events in particular and like public actions and they'd just be like we're fucking super fat and we're here like that's great you're doing great work here we go Woo! we're fat and it's good to be fat here we go and i remember feeling like mortified to be at an event where they show i was just like i don't want to be here i don't like this i'm not here for it i'm not ready i'm not in it Uh, no um so i remember like that set of strong reactions to knowing someone who had like a foot in fat activism world so i like remember that moment of feeling like i'm out i can't i don't know absolutely not and then i remember being in college and being like oh no one's making comments on what i'm eating no one's monitoring me in the way that felt like it happened in my house growing up and i've been doing this thing for like almost as far back as my kid memory stretches of like trying to become a thin person and like i remember thinking to myself not like what if i just have fat forever but just like, what if I just stop thinking about that for a while? Like, what if I just like let myself off the hook for a little bit and just like ate food that sounded good, moved in a way that felt good and just like put it down for a little while. And I just sort of never really picked it back up. <laughs> it was like part of what happened, right? Was that I was just like, oh, this doesn't have to be the only thing I think about all the time is like how to prove to people around me that I'm really going to be a thin person someday so they can trust me or they can believe in me or they can whatever. Like I might just, this might just be who I am. And like, what if I live my life in that way? Um, And then, you know, the further I got into it and the more I started researching and the more I started getting to know other fat activists work and all of that sort of stuff, the more I was like, oh, this is not just a thing that I'm setting down. This is a thing I'm prepared to like light on fire. <laughs> this is like a garbage social expectation. So that that's what I would say has been sort of the arc for me. I was gonna say, I just love that that happened in your 20s. Totally. To be like, what a gift to have that happen at like 21, 22, 23. Like, oh my God, the amount of like uh, heartache that I saved myself with that one. I would also say like, listen, part of my relationship to the word fat and to this work broadly comes from like 
being an organizer where like for a long time, my job was just like to knock on people's doors and be like, I'm a gay person. Do you think I should have like anything? Right. Like, and I think that gives you like, um, like chefs will talk about having asbestos hands. And I think there's a little bit of that for organizers where I'm like, Oh, nothing is as hard <laughs> as organizing is. And like, I feel totally down to have like any tough conversation at any point in a way that feels like it has been good preparation for being like, you know what? You're really uncomfortable with this word, which means you're probably really uncomfortable with my body, which means I can just cut my losses now and call it. If you're ready to have more of a conversation down the line, I'm here, but like you go work out your stuff. I'll be back over. I love that. Yeah. That does sound like it prepared you so well. Yeah, it's been it's been really helpful. So, okay, so but talk to me about your relationship to the word fat. Did you have a point where you were uncomfortable with it? Oh, my whole life. Like my earliest memories are and it's you know, it's one of those things that I again, I think is pretty common experience for a lot of people where I look back at photos and I'm like, "I was not fucking fat." But the world around me family and friends around me said things, did things. Are you sure you want to order the fettuccine Alfredo, Sophia? You know, when I was young, that um, really had me feel fat. Now, I, was, I wasn't the thin kid, uh, but I would say I was, I don't know, average-ish, I guess. But I was pretty sporty, so I was pretty muscular. But, like, I mean, I would go to family gatherings and people, like, try to put their hands around my wrist. Like, what? what is oh, that? I absolutely remember this thing of, like, look at, they would be like, look at how much thumb is left when I do mine. And then look right? at. You're just big boned. What? What are we doing here? Right. I'm like, I can't do anything about my bones. Like, what are you doing with this? Anyway, so there was so many, so much of that growing up. And again, I've like, I've done a lot of therapy. Um, I have worked through a lot of my feelings with respect to, you know, my family and friendships and things that I allowed. Um, and I don't hold any anger anymore, which was a big deal. And part of, I think, my journey towards being good with the word fat was letting go of the hurt that I felt because of that word because of other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's sort of like a def like you are operating on other people's definition of this word rather than like your own, which also means like, at least for me, meant like I was operating on other people's ideas about how I should feel about my body rather than like my own. Yeah. And I'm a, you know, I'm a total, I'm a Gemini. Um, I'm a total people pleaser. Um, <laughs> and so, so much of my self-worth was rooted in, and still not, not still is, but I like to know, I, and I need, I like a lot of external validation. It's just how I'm wired. I'm aware of it now. I work with it. But when I was younger and I was less aware, I mean, that meant everything to me, you know? So I did, all the diets. I also realized again in my, I realized in my thirties that I actually had had binge eating disorder since I was probably 10. I used to like steal money from my mom's wallet and go and buy junk food and just eat it. Cause there was, uh, there was restriction 
in my home. And I, I'm also a bit of a rebel. So like, I'd be like, no, I'll show you. I'll steal your money and I'll eat the food. I don't know. But a rebel and a people pleaser seems like a tough combo. It's, a, it's hard to be both. It's hard to be both. I was very that sneaky. That was a tough road to hoe, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yes, I went up and down the diet roller coasters. I did all the diets, all of them, you know, Atkins, Bernstein's, like Weight Watch, like all of them forever. Even took like some pills at some point. I'm like, what was that? Like, it's hard to even, I know, it's hard to remember even what I did. And I did the whole up and down, weight cycling, up and down, up and down, and would, you know, be, wow, you look so great. And then I would always feel so gross when I heard that, which was that whole, oh, well, was I that disgusting? Like, was I that horrible? Which would actually, again, you're never happy. Yeah. It doesn't ever solve it. It never solves anything. Oh, so I was probably, so then I will say what happened for me was I, so I was probably, I was, it was 90, it was 2014. So I was 34 did coach training. 2015 did this year-long leadership program, which was like so impactful, like rip your heart open. Who are you as a person? And then it was like the next year. So I was probably 36, 37 when I was like, oh, I because I oh because in my leadership program, the whole thing was about my struggle with my fatness, was like my leadership journey. And I did the whole thing that you talk about in the book around, surely I must have been traumatized as a child because I'm this fat. I remember being asked, Aubrey, this is horrifying. I was reading your chapter and it, it brought up the memory for me of, I was actually asked by a family member, they sat me down, they were like, Sophia, were you sexually assaulted as a child? Because how else could you be this fat? Oh, sweet fancy Jesus. Are you kidding me? And I was, I, this is before, like, I knew that I should be horrified by this question, but they referenced the ACE study. And I was like, oh God, was I? Did I block it out? I literally was like, maybe I haven't <laughs> been, but that question, like the way I was about so ready to gaslight myself. Well, it all feels like, first of all, holy shit, I'm sorry to hear about all that. Yikes on bikes. And second of all, it feels like all of this stems from this, like, it's not the taproot, but it's like one of the roots, right? Um, of sort of an experience like that is not just you are fat and I need an explanation for why you are fat. But also, I think the thing that's been on my mind lately is just like, we expect an explanation for fat. We expect when fat people show up, we expect fat people to justify to us why we should listen to them, why we should like engage with fat people's experiences. And like, do they have an explanation for their body? that a thin person will accept. And if they do, then that thin person will continue to listen to that person. And I, I struggle to think of examples where a fat person has offered an explanation of their body that satisfies a thin person. And I think most of the thin people that I know don't have any understanding of how incredibly painful it is to be like, you look gross. Can you justify it to me? And if I approve, I'll treat you like a person. Like is just, it is such, a wrenching experience and to have that from your family like 
Christ on a cracker. Like, what a situation, bud. I know. And it was genuine. Like, there was genuine concern. But it was just, yeah. So from there, basically, I, you know, into my late 30s and, of course, now in my early 40s, it was like, all right. Well, I will tell you, a laugh at this. So when I became a coach, I knew I wanted to help. I didn't use the word fat at the time. I worked with curvilicious ladies, Aubrey. <laughs> That's right. Um, confidence coaching for curvilicious ladies from the boardroom to the bedroom. I think my site is probably still out there somewhere. Um, so I was doing that work and then dropped past like body positivity and confidence and really and then found the activist part around fat liberation. And um, yeah. And so so it took it i wish i had done it in my i wish i wish i wish the 20s would have been amazing um but it kind of happened for me late 30s into now and i'm so grateful for it though like i would never go back it was worth the struggle it's worth the pain of unlearning absolutely and also just like you know i am just grateful like whenever it happens that it happens for people because i feel like I have known plenty of people, fat and not, frankly, who just live their lives in this death grip of like trying to figure out how to be a thin person, how to get thinner, how to never get fat, how to not get fatter, all of that kind of stuff. And it is just like watching someone rev a car that's in park where you're like, well, now there's just all this shit in the air. <laughs> now we're just polluting and you're spending all of this energy on something that goes absolutely nowhere and you just end up frustrated and isolated in your parked car by yourself like <laughs> what's happening right like it just it uh i'm just so happy like honestly if it happens to fat people in their 70s i'm like thrilled out of my like whenever fat people get out of that hamster wheel i'm like so happy about it i'm so happy about it yeah, <laughs> it's true because it suddenly opens up so much. Like I remember the day where I was like, oh, I didn't do calorie math today. And I was like, my brain has so much availability. What shall I think about? You know, it shifts so much for people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I also think like, I don't know if you have had this experience, but like, I think getting right with my own body, like, uh, I recently read um, Virginia Soulsmith's new book that's... Oh, Fat Chat? Oh, my God. Oh, I can't wait. It's coming to me soon. I'm, like, so excited. It's so good. I, she does um, sort of, you know, because it's sort of talking about this experience of being a fat kid and sort of how we culturally think and talk about fat kids and also how we sort of culturally think about and talk about and train not just fat kids to sort of passively accept abuse, but thin kids to exact that abuse and accept and naturalize it, right? It's like gnarly, gnarly, gnarly. And I think part of what has happened for me in getting right with the fact that like, I am just gonna be a fat person. That's my life. I just am a fat person. That's how this is gonna go is that when you start accepting your body on your own terms and building your own relationship to your body, all of those sort of cultural structures sort of starting to fall away for me. The idea that like you should just sort of take what you get in the world of dating, like, no, that is, first of all, garbage. No, you shouldn't. And second of all, like you want to talk about softening the ground for abuse, telling people to be grateful for any interest at all is like majorly softening the ground for abuse. I just feel like 
the more that I was able to like get right with just like being a fat person and being fine with that, the more I was like, oh, I need to be asking for more and better in my life and from the people around me in like every aspect that I've just been like taking shit because I've been told it's all I get. And once you start to go, wait a minute, what if I could get more than that? Oh, wait, I can. Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> it's true. And I feel the same way. And what I've noticed, and I'm curious if you've noticed this too, I've experienced a lot of resistance to that me unapologetically asking for what I want, taking up space. Like I've lost family. I've lost friends. You know, fortunately, the places I work are incredible and I have a beautiful life I've designed for myself. But there's also... I've also had to highly curate <laughs> um, because, yeah, people don't like it when the fat, angry chick speaks out. And now I am a fat, angry chick and I love it, but it's very off, like really off putting to people or can be. I think that, look, fat people have been trained in this set of ways to think about ourselves, but like so have people who are not fat, right? People who are not fat have learned that you can always go to a fat person and tell them how terrible you feel to gain weight and that person will passively accept it and say nothing. And that affects them in no way. They're just there to serve you and make you feel better because they really know and they'll reassure you that they're a real fat person and you're not a real fat person. So go forth and you're just fine, right? But like, like it just feels like it is really jarring for folks when you break that social script in part because it does and should indicate to them that they've been having really imbalanced relationships with the fat people in their lives. And it's always scary to fail a test you didn't know you were taking, right? Like, so I'm like, I have compassion for that, for the thin people in my life. And also that doesn't change what I'm going to do, which is like not spend my time on people who are not, you know, uh, receptive to my experience or here for me in the ways that I'm here for them or what have you. Yeah. And I feel like it's similar to when I started doing a lot of anti-racism work and I was like, oh, I'm white, therefore I am racist. And I was like, shit. Like, I get that discomfort. I still am like working on that all the time. I still mess up all the time. But so, so I, like you said, I do have compassion, but I also, I'm not willing to put myself in places of harm anymore. And I think that's the line that I've really drawn and feel really good about drawing. And then I'm like, am I dead inside? Should I be sad that I'm not talking to my family? But I, I feel good because I'm putting my needs first. And I've never done that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so thrilled for you. This is where you're at. Like, this is like wonderful. This is wonderful. I mean, I feel like the other layer, like I have had in the last few years, like a new layer of growing pains around like being a uh, fat person who has more standards for myself than I used to, right? And one of those is, it is not as explicit as thin friends who want to talk about how they feel fat or thin friends who want to go to restaurants with fixed booths or go to theme parks with weight limits or whatever. Like it's not about for me at this point anymore about the explicit exclusion stuff. I feel totally fine. If folks are going to do that to be like, oh, I'm fat. I can't. I don't want to. Bye. Right. Like, see ya. Yeah. I'm always like, I need an aisle seat and I need to know the length, the chair and they get, they accommodate my people accommodate, but yeah. Love it. Yes. What's the layer below that? 
the layer below that for me, and I'm curious about like, it just feels like we like to think of this sort of stuff as like, there's a point of arrival where it's like, you got it all figured out, you did it and we're done. And it's just not. Not, not that I found at least. I find that the further you dig into it, the more there is to like. It's like the never ending underground parking lot. Like we're just, we're just gonna keep going. <laughs> it's totally like the shadiest underground parking lot. Absolutely. It's like cracked and <laughs> flickering lights. <laughs> totally. So like P1 in the parking garage. <laughs> is like the like you know uh you know figure out a plan for uh and like how a strategy for the people in your life who are like explicitly exclusive or like don't respect your boundaries yeah p2 is where i feel like i might be now maybe it's p3 who knows um is that i am noticing that uh i have had a number of like friends acquaintances loved ones who are down to have the conversation who don't object uh, to me describing myself as a fat person, who don't counter my own experiences, which is all like, that's all better than like 95% of the people that I know, great than people that I know. And what I have found most recently is that like, oh, the place that I'm at now is like dealing with a lot of the unspoken expectations that folks have, that like, because, mm, oh, I'm gonna, test drive something with you you tell me <laughs> tell me tell me if this is the thing for you but like i find that as a fat person and particularly as a fat woman there is like a level of emotional caretaking that folks expect of me right that there's like an expectation of sort of a like level of relationship and balance that is like i am there as a receptacle i mean listen you as a fat person and also as a coach holy hell i can only imagine <laughs> that seems like someone being like i'm in med school and people being like what's this rash right like it feels like i'm sure you get all kinds of like whoa <laughs> that's so funny. garbage <laughs> but like i find myself clocking in a different way and in a way that i wouldn't have previously because it wouldn't have revealed itself to me in the same way how many of my relationships had been really imbalanced and how many folks were expecting what essentially sometimes felt like therapy to me where my job was to ask open-ended questions to say nothing to have no opinion and just help them work through their own stuff oh interesting what's the connection between being a fat person uh so i think two things one I think this uh, genuinely, I think this relates to sort of the trope of the fat friend, right? And seeing like, I mean, you did call yourself your fat I friend. I mean, listen, I asked for what I asked for. <laughs> uh, but like, I think there is sort of like folks are most used to when they see fat people who are portrayed in a way that they don't think of as explicitly stigmatizing, mm -hmm. that they're still not seeing that person having their own storyline or having their own stuff to deal with. So I think even for folks who are like thinking through this stuff, doing the work on some level, there is like a couple of layers of like, not even totally conscious expectations that folks have, right? That is sort of like, here is a fat lady that makes me think about sort of, you know, every friend in every rom-com, or it makes me think of like my mom or a childcare worker that I remember or some kind of warm presence. The non-threatening nature is what I was thinking of. Like it's a non-threatening soft body. Absolutely. Like there's definitely some desexualization that happens there, right? 
And uh, it feels really noticeable to me now, again, in a way that it wouldn't have before when I was dealing with way more like flashing lights, neon, like this is the wrong thing <laughs> kind of moments to be like, oh, right. Just because I have folks who like understand that I might need different seating than them or that understand that I have a different experience at the doctor's office or whatever, doesn't mean that I have folks who have given thought to how they're showing up in relationship to me or to other fat people. And like, I don't totally know what to do with that. Just like, I feel like I'm just like sort of sitting with it, but it feels distinctly connected to being a fat person to me. I'm curious about, do you get any of that sort of like expectation of caretaking? Also, you're like, raising kids and I'm not raising kids. So that's also like a whole other world. That's a whole other world. Well, let me tell you, I'm four years into it and it is a whole other world. I bet. Yeah. It's so interesting. You're, as you were talking, I was, some examples were coming back to me and there's one that was recent that I wouldn't have put together. So it's a, it, you know, it was a sad situation. A close friend of mine's dad passed away very suddenly, like shockingly suddenly. And so there was a, a gathering at someone's home to just, you know, be together. And I was definitely the fattest person there. And I just, there was a way, I mean, this is where it's hard for me because I think you're, you're right. I think a lot gets conflated from like who I am as a coach and the presence that I have as a coach, but also who I am as a person. I felt be there was, and I left this pl place feeling like what just happened? Because it was almost like everyone I talked to, I was like uh, a, a duvet cover and people were just, yeah. And like, I was just this kind of like soft place to land and people were like talking at me but it was the there was a there was a way about it, and I, I'm having a hard time describing it because I'm now thinking about it through this lens that you're bringing. That, and I was like, was I being coachy? Because you know, in coaching, there's a lot of listening and mirroring back, and you know, it's a very held space. I was like, I don't think I was being coachy because it wasn't like my coach hat wasn't on. But I wondered, I wonder now if it was my body, just being a fat person in a space of like condolence or like in a place of condolencing, that's not a word, but you know, where, you know, where there's sadness. I just, yeah. Like even my friend's mom like pulled me and I don't, I didn't know her that well. It was a beautiful mom. I was very honored, but like pulled me to her and was like holding my hand. It was like, it was, it didn't quite match the level of our relationship. And I was like, well, I'm honored in this moment, but now I'm like, was there something about just me being in a fat body that allows for something else in others? And I've had lots, I've had moments like that in other relationships too. Yeah, you've really got me thinking about this. Yeah, what's, what is that? It's always murky and it's always challenging, right? Like you're in a memorial service. You're also a coach. There's a lot going on there. I'm a person like the thing that's been on my mind is I'm like, I've also been showing up in this way that reinforces these expectations. So I got some work to do on me to figure out how to like show up fully and be like, I actually need something from you this time, which is like a different experience. Right. But like, it's always tricky. It's always murky. And um, I think this is part of the reason why like having space to connect with other fat people feels so important is because if and when you take this kind of thing to a person who hasn't been fat, 
their response is usually a self-protective one, which is just like, I'm sure it was nothing. I'm sure it was something else. I'm sure you're overthinking this, da, 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 which is their way of being like, you know, you're anxious and I want you not to be anxious anymore. But also sometimes their way of being like, you're making me think about a thing I don't want to think about. So could you stop that? Right? Like, um, versus like another, like when you talk to another fat person, you can actually like try this stuff on for size and be like, actually, I don't think that's what was happening there. Or actually, I don't really know. And I'm like, kind of keeping myself open to what this looks like or what have you. It feels like that kind of like emotional midwifery kind of stuff is like on my mind in a big way these days. Yeah. I'm going to sit with that. I think that's so interesting because now I'm thinking about another relationship who have act that I've actually stepped away from for the last year. And I think it was this because this friend talks about like, you saved me that whole year. And I'm like, like the year before. And I, and, and any, there ended up, I ended up uh, asserting something and calling something out that was said. And I got all, it was, it was kind of, it was, it wasn't funny at the time, but reflecting on it, it was kind of funny because I got all the microaggressions. I got tone policed. I got white women's tears. I got like, I just got the list of, and I was like, oh, hang on. No. And, but again, it's like when it happens to you, and I imagine there's a lot of people with any kind of marginalization, like when it, I, who may relate to this, but when it actually happens in the moment, I find I'm usually still stunned even though it's happened a bunch i'm still kind of like oh is this happening right now oh okay okay what do i what do i do how do i stand up for myself how do I, like it makes me shaky which i don't like totally absolutely absolutely like look man even if you just get real used to it like there are times when it just this is also like sort of what it's designed to do is like throw you off and make you feel like you're wrong right make you feel like you are the person who is the problem to be solved here and not like you held a pretty reasonable line about like here's how i want our friendship to go and this feels uncomfortable to me and whatever i had a sort of friend breakup conversation a few years ago sort of along these lines and the thing that i told my friend at the time was i was like i don't feel like i can do this anymore because every time i hang out with you i feel like i'm your staff like i feel like i'm here to staff you and i'm here to like you know create a space for you to say or do whatever you need to say or do but that i am like not a person in this interaction and that feels like really hard and challenging really hard and challenging oh yeah that's hard stuff it's really hard stuff it's tricky and you just keep working it through and you, you know come out the other end at some what's point. what's p10 can you imagine p10 in the part <laughs> i imagine it's like um scientology where you get to like ot8 which is the point that they said l ron hubbard got to when he, they were like he's so advanced he abandoned his corporeal form he's like not a body anymore he's just like light and energy maybe p10 is like the lizzo level we all join lizzo in like <laughs> i'm here for that right <laughs> i'm here for that oh my gosh um i want to talk about the book a little bit because it is fantastic so now I have heard this story, but just for people who haven't, what prompted you to write this book? Yes. Um, so this one uh, is actually part of a series from my publisher called Myths Made in America, um, where they have uh, created like an incredible series of these books um, that are sort of tackling myths around marginalized communities and misunderstood issues. Things like 
immigration and unions and uh, native and tribal communities and so on and so forth. Like it's absolutely incredible. And initially when they came to me with this idea, I was sort of pretty decidedly like, no, <laughs> just in my own, to my own self. I was like, no, absolutely not. No, thank you. How come? How come? What was the no? For a couple of reasons. One, like I came to this work as an organizer um, and, you know, one of the things that you learn pretty quickly in organizing is that like facts and figures don't change people's minds. They just don't. We really all like to think of ourselves as like beings of pure ration and thought. And like, that's not actually what changes people. Like we really do generally have to like hear a personal story, experience some primary or secondary trauma related to that thing understand how much it's actively hurting people and like get an emotional sense of that to sort of shift folks. And usually that comes through our existing relationships, not from like media, not from reporting, not from any of that kind of stuff. Right. At the same time, it felt like particularly from listeners of our show, I just kept hearing from people who were like, okay, wait, now I know how to see anti-fatness and it's everywhere and it's blowing my mind and I have no idea what to say or do. So now I just am uncomfortable and notice it all the time. Like, I was like, okay, so that doesn't help anyone. Like, I appreciate that that's where you are. That's a necessary med step. And like, let's move you right through that. Um, so this felt like, you know, again, like maybe not the book for like the most anti-fat person, you know, but maybe the book for like their kid or their neighbor or their coworker who's like sick of their shit. <laughs> and like, you know, needs to feel grounded enough in their own analysis to do what they already know how to do, which is like interrupt garbage when it happens, right? Like that's my hope is that this uh, is a book that becomes really obsolete really quickly um, and that folks use to like move through their discomfort and straight on into action. That's my, that's my great hope for it. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> it's so good. I love that you have that hope mm -hmm. still. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's sweet. Yeah, cute. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I'm totally. with you. I'm, oh, I'm forever searching for for little moments of hope. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah. So the book, what I love about the book is that it is so accessible, Aubrey. It's really great. I love the way you've organized it all. The myths literally are word for word. Pretty much I've heard all of them or received all of them at some point, which was also great. And also... Like, wow, there really is a constructed language happening. The fact that, you know, someone perhaps in California, I'm in Canada, someone maybe in Moscow, I don't know, like has received the exact same wording. And I was like, oh, that's there, there is a deep, there is a devious plan. Let's do like tinfoil hat episode. I did that. <laughs> Reagan and I talked about that. We're like, tinfoil hat time. <laughs> it's like, well, and like some of it is like, some of it is tinfoil hat, absolutely. And some of it is also like openly reported, but never referenced, right? Like this business about, uh, I think this is more commonly known now than it used to be, which is good. It should be even more commonly known than this. We all know the BMI is trash garbage. We've known that for a long time. What a lot of folks leave out of that conversation is that the, the thresholds for what is considered quote unquote overweight or obese um, have been repeatedly lowered over time. I know. Your episode on that blew my mind. I was like, it's been lowered because it makes more money for the horrible pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies. Like that, yeah, that is what needs to be known. 
Right. So like people genuinely believe that there is like suddenly a ton of people got really fat in 1999. Like that was the year that just everybody put on like 40 pounds. Like, no, that's like not what happened. Right. But we continue to get this reporting. I think this has even happened with the new um, AAP guidelines, the new American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines. We're continuing to get this sort of reporting on these issues that are uncritically accepting the idea that all of a sudden in the last 30 years, everybody got really fat and not that like, hey, there might be more going on here. And part of the reason that people don't interrogate that, I think, is that it lets us believe what we already want to believe, which is like, I don't want to look at fat people. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to have to think about this. This is too challenging. Let me out of here. It's an epidemic. You're a health risk. I'm done. Right? Like, it allows folks to extract themselves from a conversation that they find really uncomfortable. Oh, it feels hard. I don't know. How about you? When these come up, like when these kinds of myths come up, you said you've heard almost every one of them, which like, yes, me too. Good Lord. I'm curious about like, do you have a sense or sort of like an operating theory of like where they come from? When people say this kind of stuff to you, like there's like the text, right? And then there's sort of the relationship message or the subtext. Like, what do you make of the subtext of like when you hear this kind of stuff? Yeah, it's... (laughs) It's interesting. I talked about this and I said what I believe on an episode and then I got an immediate message from a family member after listening to it saying, I don't, I do not, da-da-da-da, and objected so violently. I was like, maybe, maybe that's where you take a little looky look because you wouldn't be so upset if maybe it wasn't a little bit true, which is that I think, I think for a lot of people, because I think it's human nature where If I've had to struggle for something, if I've had to work hard for it and to be this way and I've devoted energy to it, I, you know, I've, I, you know, I am healthy. I work out, I eat well, all of that stuff that we think impacts body size. And then here's this fat person, like living their best life, being fat, eating what they want, moving how they want, really like basically flaunting the rules. I think there's a really deep-seated visceral reaction to that. You know what it reminded me of recently where the U.S. was talking about loan forgiveness for student loans and all the people who paid their loans were like, fuck no, I paid my loan, you got to pay yours back. And I was like, oh, this feels like that same reaction when there is that piece. So I... I often wonder, and that's what my my family member was like, um, I never, because then I was like, because I think I talked about, is there actually a deep desire to also be able to let go, to just be in the body? And my, my, I almost said who it was, my family member said, I would, I would, I am not jealous. I would never want to be like, and I'm like, okay, we, we've had to see some communications. Um, but like, I, that's what I wonder if, is, if there is this like guttural, like I had to obey. It's not fair that you don't have to. Cause we're pretty, we giant, we're, we're judging beings, right? And so that's what I often wonder if there's that deeper thing going on. I think, so I think that's absolutely part of it for folks who have been on the path of trying really hard. 
And I also think there's like a group of like, we all know people we have, this is like a conversation in fag, fat activism since forever is that like, we all accept that there are some people who are naturally thin and none of us accept there are some people who are naturally fat, right? Um, we all know some people who just are thin people who put zero effort into being thin people. And I think that there is a parallel fear for those folks that is, that people will stop treating their bodies as an accomplishment. And then I will lose my status. Right. That there is a fear of a loss of status, right? There is a sort of anxiety about, I will, again, like lose status, I'll lose relationships, or like some level of knowing that like I haven't earned the praise that I'm getting, but I don't want it to go away. I think that's a huge one. I think that it, that to me is so like privilege, like unearned privilege, like, like white dudes. I mean, there's a lot of unearned privilege and I have a couple in my life who I've spoken with about this stuff, not fatness necessary, but just, and it's, they, they, they cannot go for like, they can't. Cause it's like, what because I think what's happening for them is what it means for them is that all this stuff that they thought was like their hard work, their hard accomplishments, like all that goes away. And that loss would be very hard. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, look, this feels like so much of sort of like the work that we all end up doing as fat people is like whether or not we want to, we end up knee deep in thin people's assumptions and their sort of like stuff that they've attached to this issue. Why am I spending so much time there? <laughs> Why? And also, it's like, sometimes the only way through with like a given thin person is to like, get all the way down in there with them. And it's like, I don't know about you, it's almost never a thing I want to do is to like, explain to someone how they're hurting me while they're hurting me, right? It's just like, let's not do this. That sounds unpleasant for everybody. And also, I feel like part of my experience as a fat person is knowing that literally no one else is going to do. There's not like a thin person who's going to be like, I got this one. Don't worry about it. Like I'll work on this person. Like it feels like a really tricky, challenging thing to be sort of like wading through all of this stuff that is other people's sort of baggage that they've attached to seeing people who look like you and me uh, without realizing that they're attaching all of that stuff to seeing people who look like you and me. Yeah. Well, and that's where I'm, I mean, again, I think maintenance phase and the the other work you're putting out this book, like I, I, that's where there are bits of hope, I think for me, because I know that the minute I start talking about oppression and fatness is rooted in anti-racism, like I lose people. I'm not a good teacher of this stuff because I, I just get, frankly, I just get pissed off, annoyed, frustrated, angry. And I'm like, look, if you're not going to do the work, then I fucking can't like be in this. And I'm like, I'm out. So I feel so grateful for people who are like slowing it down, making it palatable, like come here, listen to this episode, here's some space to think about it because I, I'm kind of tired of doing the work. I just, and I'm not, it's not, I'm not good at it. I'm like, you're stupid. <laughs> well, I feel like this is like the asbestos hands thing, right? Which is like, if I can you know, write a book or a column or make an episode or a something. And I feel like I've got that energy and space in me to like walk folks through every like little step along the way. And that means that like 
one or five or 10 fat people don't have to handle that absolute garbage conversation on their own. Like that feels worthwhile to me. That feels worthwhile to me. And it's a thing that I feel like happy to do that like a lot of fat folks rightly are like, I'm out, I'm done. This is garbage, get better, I'm tired. <laughs> I can totally understand that. And I'm there plenty myself. Yeah. Well, and it's, I will say it's working because there's now, there have now been enough people who have come back to me who have said, oh, so I listened to those episodes you sent me, or I, I sat and I learned a little bit more, or they listened to my podcast and are, and have written me and been like, oh, I didn't know. Thank you. So it's like the door does get opened for a lot of people because I don't think, I mean, people aren't wanting to do harm. They're, I don't think people are setting out to do harm. It's just, it's the, un, it's unconscious. And then once it becomes conscious, they get to decide how they want to deal with it. And I, it is really amazing when they come back and they're like, this was really helpful. I'm going to think more about this. And, you know, I did have my first experience with my best friend at another friend's wedding where I was talking to a human rights lawyer who was like young and hip and awesome. And I totally I said something about, you know, um, and she does work like at like federal level, like really in the know around like decolonialism and oppression work and protecting. So of course I was like, okay, you should know, or you would understand. So I kind of made a comment about, you know, I'm really, I said, you know, a lot of the work that I do is connected to fat liberation. And I really wish that was a little more in kind of in the dialogue when it comes to protecting human rights and things that should, you know, you should be able to fire a fat person. And, you know, that's a human rights issue. And she deadpan looked at me, she goes, um, obesity is a disease. And my friend beside me, who was straight size, jumped and was like, oh, no, it's not. And I had the ally moment. And I was like, thank you, my sweet. I will be at the bar. You you just educate this person. I love this so much. I had never had that. And I was like, it was everything. I was like, oh, this is, this is what it is to be cared for. Also, let me say this. Human rights lawyer, is that your framework for dealing with people with chronic illnesses and disabilities because like uh-oh right like that's the other thing about sort of all of the like you're gonna die it's a health thing it's a whatever i'm like you don't realize that you are showing your entire ass for your whole way that you think and talk about disability and disabled people in a way that is really telling like are you assessing people's health before you decide whether or not their human rights are worth defending, whether or not you're gonna treat them with dignity, whether or not whatever. Like it is just, it's really fascinating to me how willingly people tell of themselves in this kind of in this kind of stuff. I am so over the moon that you had that experience. That makes me so happy. Those are rarer than they should be. And they're wonderful. I want you to just like keep it in a locket or something. Oh, I, do. I like, think about it all the time. Yeah, it's so good. Oh. I know this is a very special person in my life. And it was, she was just, yeah, she was, I was like, well done. Good job. That person really well killer. Love it. <laughs> um, so, oh my gosh. Okay. I want to ask you 
two questions that came in from people that I was like, I'm talking to Aubrey. What should I ask Aubrey? Um, so this first one is from that. I will out this person because this is my bestie who was the one who was like, um, obesity is not a disease. Let me talk to you. She was the one, my, the one at the wedding who did that. So shout out to Sabrina. She actually... <laughs> I'm just going to embarrass her further. She actually was like, can I just like be on the episode with you and Aubrey and just like watch? <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, but I'll give you a shout out. Um, so her question is, how do you keep your mindset and energy up and focused on the task at hand, i.e. fighting anti-fat bias when everything feels like an uphill battle? And I also want the answer to that question, please. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great one. So like, look, the the honest answer is like, I don't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, there are lots of days of like big despair and sadness in my life, right? Part of it for me is what I feel like I have learned from particularly uh, like organizers in general, but particularly organizers working around abortion access. Um, I don't know anyone in my life who has a better sense of humor than a person who works in an abortion clinic or a person who works at Planned Parenthood and is walking through a picket line of people calling the murderers every day, right? That like you develop not only the thickest skin, but the greatest sense of humor and like absolutely nothing phases them. It's amazing. Um, I would say for me, like, a real key ingredient for me, and I think and hope this shows up on the show, is to name this all for being so ridiculous and craven and transparent. And like so much of the kind of um, deepest seated anti-fatness um, that we deal with as fat folks is also, again, like such a transparent play uh, for money or to keep people on the margins that we don't want to see have power or whatever. Like, it just feels like this is also a, a part of my relationship to my like, oh, it's behind me, the diet book collection. Hello. Uh, <laughs> um, is like being able to go back and absolutely laugh at how this stuff came to be, right? Like, it is both really grim and totally fucking laughable that the World Health Organization, the NIH, and the American Medical Association all defined, quote unquote, obesity as a disease over the recommendations and against the recommendations of their own staff, right? Like, that is both a real heartbreaker and, like, genuinely deeply harmful and also, like, Oh my God, you're not even listening to the doctors that you employ? What are we doing? What is this Keystone Cops slapstick nonsense that we're doing here? It's so true. The oh. professional association from doctors was like, shut up, doctors. <laughs> what are we doing? Right? Like, that is bizarre, right? Like, I think a lot of this stuff is genuinely and deeply funny to me in ways that it shouldn't be but it kind of has to be to get you through it because it is so ridiculous like as soon as you start peeling back the layers of this stuff you're like oh there's no there there the emperor has no clothes the wizard of oz is like a tiny guy behind a curtain it's all nothing it's all nothing so like why not laugh at that why not find the joy in that and why not live your life the way you want to live your life yeah knowing that 
all of the shit that's coming at you is absolute nonsense. Like, what a joy to just be freed of like, the hardest thing for me was believing that people were right, right? Like the hardest thing for me was when people would go, there's an obesity epidemic and you're gonna die. And I'd be like, you're right, right? Like that was horrible. That was a horrible way to live my life. And I feel like now that I've been like, oh, sorry, you think it's a disease? Let's talk, right? Like that's very funny to me. You're smarter than that. Oh my God, that's so good. Okay, I'm gonna adopt that because I go right to, we should just blow up the world. <laughs> I go, I'm totally, like, totally, totally. I also go there frequently. <laughs> but I like this invitation to to think about it as like bizarro world, you know? Like, and bring that humor in. It is nonsense. The logic is like almost non-existent and it's just, it's like fully just like a house of cards. I mean, the other one that comes to me is um, that like, again, very dark and also in its way, very funny, that one of the things that we hear in the US all the time is that 360,000 Americans die every year just because they got so fat that they dropped dead, right? Like, so first of all, like, we're talking about a third of a million people. Like, you would know somebody. You would know, you would have heard of somebody who just was like, they just got too fat and then they died, the end, right? Like, so that's thing one. And thing two is like, when you actually read the research paper that that comes from, they state explicitly in their methodology section, we assumed that every fat person who died in excess of thin people died because they were fat. We didn't actually look at why they died. We didn't look at their family histories. We didn't look at their medical history. We didn't look at, see if they have any diagnoses. We didn't look at anything. We were just like, more fat people died than thin people. So those fat people definitely died of being fat. Not terrible medical care, not postponing health care, not misdiagnoses, not being sent away to lose weight and then come back, right? Like it is the most head in the sand. Like I saw that you're fat. I've decided that means you're going to die. And I wrote a paper to prove my point based on my assumption that you're going to die. Like what? Oh my God. Okay, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to bring more humor because I hear that and I'm like, press the red button. We're just done. That is also like a very reasonable and rational. I want to bring more humor to it though, because I feel like how else, like how else do you keep doing it? How else do you keep marching up that hill? Totally. And sometimes you don't. You know what I mean? Sometimes you take a break. Sometimes you take some like days or weeks or months or years off and like. If you are a fat person dealing with this stuff every day, you get to decide every day how much of it you're willing to deal with. I have a high threshold for nonsense <laughs> <laughs> and no one else should uh, expect anyone else to mirror that. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. That also might be a good t episode title. <laughs> That's my dating profile. If I had one, that would be my dating profile. <laughs> That's so good. for nonsense. Mm, maybe not the advertisement you want when you're dating people. Uh-oh, never mind. Yeah, that could, that could be interpreted a few ways, a few ways. <laughs> um, another question that came in actually from a few people that was all around this, which was, if there's one thing that you could ask all your straight size friends or people to do that would really make a difference for fat people, what would it be? One clear, concrete thing, AKA what can allies do to support fat liberation? Oh, listen, I'll tell you what, it is one thing and it's a hard thing. Oh, there are two one things that I would okay. offer. 
<laughs> so two things. <laughs> Great. You and your math. Um, <laughs> uh, one is both of them are straightforward and difficult. One is I have had one friend in my life who has ever asked me for feedback on how they show up for me as a fat person. Just one. Even with like who you are in the world, I would feel like people would be lining up to get Aubrey's feedback. Yeah. No. So like, I would say, listen, don't put folks on the spot. Give them space and time to answer if and as they want to. For some folks, particularly like, listen, if you had talked to me about this when I was like 19 or 20, I would have been like, no, I have nothing to say. Why are you talking about this? Right? Like, it's like, make space for that too. There will be folks who opt out of this conversation. But like, asking fat folks for feedback for everything from actually you keep talking about how much you hate your body and every time you do it it makes me feel like shit about mine or all the way down to things like hey when we go to a restaurant can you let me pick where we see sit so i'm not stuck in a fixed booth and i don't end up with like bruises after we hang out right like Open yourselves up to some feedback from some fat people and know that fat people have been trained all of our lives not to offer it and not to even consider it. So it might take some space and some time and you might have to ask a few times, but like do that and know that your fat friend is worth that um, in the same way that like you would hope they would ask you for feedback. You know what I mean? Like this is the nature of relationships. This is the nature of like being close to people is that there's a great Jay Smooth video from like 10 years ago where he talked about sort of the nature of boundaries. And he was like, as we get closer, your boundaries don't go away. They get clearer and they get more precise, right? So like open yourself up to clearer and more precise boundaries with your fat friends. And like, don't just ask for that feedback, then do the thing. If they say, actually, I need a thin person to go with me to the doctor's office. If my doctor isn't listening to me go to that appointment, right? Like if they say, I really need you not to talk about your bad feelings about your body with me, like take it to somebody else, really actually try to do that thing. That's a big one. The other one big thing that I think would make a huge difference is, you know, this stands out to me most in moments of street harassment, but it happens all the time that like, Overwhelmingly, when I experience like the most profound and public and humiliating anti-fatness, it's usually in front of an audience, right? It's like on a plane where there's like 230 people sitting in their seats watching and saying and doing nothing while like someone asks to be reseated and makes a scene because they have to sit next to me. Or it is, you know, a busy... A uh, city sidewalk and someone shouts a name at me from a passing car or what have you. The thing that hurts the most is not that people say and do those things. I am a tough enough person to like have come to expect that like I'm almost 40. Here we go. It is what it is, right? Like I feel like I like know the rules of the road at this point. The thing that hurts the most is that everybody else acts like nothing happened. So like your mission, should you choose to accept it, is don't act like nothing happened. Don't collude, because otherwise you're you're colluding. Right. You're sending a message to the fat person that is like, I co-signed this other person's garbage behavior. And you're sending that same message to the person who just did the garbage behavior, who's now going to go do it five or ten more times because nobody, like, 
got out the little squirt bottle for your cat and just went, no, knock it off, right? Like, (laughs) be the squirt bottle. (laughs) Totally. You don't have to have a debate prepared. You don't have to have all of your facts and figures ready. You don't have to start a bar fight with somebody. You can just be like, knock it off. What are you doing? You could go check in with the fat person they were talking to or about and ask them what they want. You could like, just like show any level of human kindness and any level of boundaries on this behavior. It is tough. I totally get it. And we all know how to do this. We have all done this before. We all know people who are out of pocket (laughs) and we all know how to rein them back in. You don't like it, but you know how to do it. So like those seem like the two biggest things to me. If folks like stopped letting that stuff go by uninterrupted and stopped assuming that their fat friends are good all the time with everything that they're doing, boy, oh boy, that would be a big step forward. How about you? What would you put on the list of like, I love both of those. And the first one around, and I would say for fat people listening, start to think about what you might ask. Because I think that's, I was just imagining if someone, like, let's say one of my workplace colleagues came to me and was like, okay, Sophie, I'm, I heard your episode <laughs> and I would love for you to give me some feedback. I, I think I would be like, oh, I don't even know. So I think, but then I, but then I started, some things started to come up in my mind. So I think that per, the invitation here is also for fat people to think about what you would say if you were asked so that also, I think that's twofold. There's one, the sneaky coachy thing, which is that um, it will start to open up where you may not be asking for what is important for you, which I think is really huge and kind of returns agency back. And then the other thing I think is that, you know, whether someone asks or not, Maybe you also, if you if you want to, emotional labor, all that good stuff involved, aside, whatever, be able to articulate what those things are. So I think that's a that's a really powerful one that actually goes pretty deep. I think Aubrey, I love that. It is a deep one, and I think also like for fat folks, listen the the one time <laughs> that I got that um, <laughs> uh, request, uh, I had to be like. I need to go think about it. Can I come back to you later? Because I'm not, I'm not sure. Right. Like, I think that's like a totally fine thing for fat folks to say. And like, is a good thing to have front loaded for yourself. Um, so you don't get like caught, but also like is a thing for, uh, straight size folks to be prepared, um, to like accept that and accept that like you might get some delayed response on what the feedback is. And there might be big feelings attached. And I love the other one because it reminds me of, I remember, I don't know, there was some, I mean, I was gonna say, there was some violence in a city where there's just constantly violence now. But I remember seeing this video where some kind of like, if you see someone being like this, it was a situation where let's say you're on a bus or a streetcar or some kind of public transport and someone is being bullied or there's some kind of aggression happening to a particular person the best thing you can do to keep yourself safe, but to also like show up for the person is to literally just go and like stand beside them. And I was like, that kind of like passive, like now we are too, you know, like is where you support them in that way. It kind of reminds me of the second one where it's like, when something is happening, show your presence as a protest to what's happening. And like you said, you don't have to get into a bar fight, but like, you just you just show up for the person who is being who's experiencing the anti-fatness or whatever is going on. 
No question. I mean, I think one of the ones that hit hardest for me was on a plane and was this person who like absolutely like pitched a weird public fit about having to sit next to me. And part of what happened after that is that no one on that plane, including the flight crew, made eye contact with me after that happened. So I just like sat and cried and no one looked at me and no one talked to me. So I'm like, genuinely when I'm talking about like, do something, like honestly, like a person making eye contact with me <laughs> would have been like leaps and bounds ahead of what actually happened. So like, it really is like, again, the bar needs to get higher than this, but where we are now, <laughs> We'll start with eye contact. <laughs> totally, like, eye contact, say a thing. Like, I had a great ally moment with my brother at one point where someone said something, like, deeply anti-fat. My brother and I do not share the same politics. And he just went, dude, come on! <laughs> Yay! That was the whole intervention. Which is like, knock it off! Like, right? Like, that's it does not have to be artful. It does not have to be perfectly argued. It just has to be something. We have one more question. Which is, well, not from an audience. This is like my closing question, which is, I love that it's called Fat Joy. And then every episode I end up, we end up bitching and moaning and complaining about all the shit. So then I built in that the last question is always about joy. <laughs> so, so, so joy, Aubrey, how do you connect to joy? How do you choose joy? How do you bring joy into your life? Um, I would say I have a real doom and gloom kind of a job, as you can imagine, like, a real close read of those AAP guidelines is like the rest of my day, like barf, no thanks. I think we probably will end up doing an episode about it. I genuinely, I opened up our email inbox this morning and there were 150 requests from people for an episode on the AAP guidelines. It's horrific. Two years old. Two years old. Well, and also just like, listen, a, a brief dip back into fat range. Like as a person who took FenFen as a teenager, Right. And I did it because a doctor told me that was the right thing to do. And that was the healthiest thing to do. And it was later pulled because it causes heart failure and it causes your lungs to fill with fluid. So that folks like it's horrific. And those side effects can have an onset at any point later in life. Right. So like I am a person who speaks to this, like we should give weight loss drugs to kids stuff um, from a profound sense of my own self as like a ticking time bomb of the side effects of those drugs. Like it's garbage. Anyway, and fat rage, um, <laughs> begin fat joy. Uh, what I have really uh, started to do over the last couple of years of doing this work full time um, is that every other piece of media that I consume is the silliest, most ridiculous nonsense. It's so... It brings me so much joy. There's a show uh, from Channel 4 in the UK called Taskmaster that is just... Have you ever seen Taskmaster? No, but I heard you talk about it on uh, Virginia's and I have now subscribed to the channel and I'm very excited to watch some of it. I love it so much. It's genuinely just like, there will be a task that's like, uh, eat as much watermelon as you can in one minute or... Uh, <clears throat> get three yoga balls to balance at the top of this hill on a windy day. It is tasks that don't matter at all. It is public figures who are concerned about how they're appearing on television. And it is uh, people who like can't succeed. So you're just dealing with people 
knowing that they can't succeed, they're being watched, and it's not going to go great, and also it doesn't matter. It is like the it the it is the show just is. Don't take yourself too seriously, right? And it is such a just a shot in the arm of just like joy and fun and people figuring out how to just uh, be who they are and own their failings and own their successes and all of it. Like, I love all of that stuff. I'm like almost exclusively a comedy viewer these days, all of that kind of stuff. Although I've had just, I've had to have my husband like watch a lot of stand up specials ahead of time because of the rampant anti fatness. So yeah, I find I don't watch white dudes anymore and I really try to stick to BIPOC. And even then, if fatness comes up, I just, we fast forward like a couple minutes and that's the problem. And I, cause I love comedy. Me too. I will say I have gone uh, one step further, which is like the vast majority of the comedy that I consume is fat people. <laughs> Yes, I need a list, I think, then. Oh, I'll send you a good list. I will so happily. I mean, like, listen, if you haven't watched Nicole Byer's stand-up. Love Nicole Byer. Her stand-up is, like, next level incredible. It's so good. She's, like, one of the funniest people on the planet. Anyway, so, like, that for me is the thing, is just, like, submerse yourself in joy and silliness. How about you? What's your... Talk to me about your fat joy. Oh, my fat joy. I just on that vein of kind of like consuming media. I <laughs> I'm addicted to a few things. I love watching almost like ASMR videos of animals chewing food. <laughs> I'm a, there's this one, I think it's Panda Lili, where it's this panda and they just give this panda like bamboo and squash and whatever. And it, there's just some mic and it just captures this panda like chomping, chomp. Chomp, chomp, like so serene. There's, I don't know, maybe it is the like my, you know, my my binge eating <laughs> former self, but there's, it's just like serenely eating. I don't know. There's something about it I find deeply joyful and soothing. I will say this: it's not eating videos, but it is animal videos. If you have not experienced the Monterey Bay Aquarium webcams that are going there all the time, they have like. There's like five, maybe 10 different webcams where they're like, do you want to see the seals for a while? They're hanging out. Do you want to go like watch the sharks swim around? Do you want to blah, blah, blah? And it is the most, I will often do that when I'm researching, just have that on in the background. It is so calming and soothing and lovely. Oh, anyway. Yeah, the other animal one, I do watch animal, the other animal ones I watch are like, um, I have like these like parrots that I follow. It's like Pluto, the parakeet. And like, and they're just, they're filled with personality. And then they almost, it's like, they're like talking back and forth with their owners. And I just, yeah, there's something about animals. And I follow a bunch of farms. Where there's this one farm, I think it's called Knucklebump Farms. And there's an emu whose name is Emmanuel. And this this lovely farmer woman is always trying to do these educational videos. And then the emu head comes in. He's like, and she's always like, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, don't make good choices. Emmanuel. And I just, it just, I love it. I love there's, I think there's something I'm just thinking about the pattern that's emerging for both of us with these. It's like, you can't, it's so hard to do this kind of like anti-oppression work, live with anti-oppression, um, you know, goggles <laughs> off, I guess, like see all the anti-oppression in the world where I almost want, I need the counterbalance to be just like such simple, elemental creatures being creatures, you know, there's something about that. Yeah. 
I'll tell you one other one for for my own personal like uh, joy scenario is um, my nephew has gotten uh, like a Nintendo Switch, um, so we can play. He's far away from me. I'm in Oregon. He's in California, um, and so we're able to play games together. And his favorite game has become my favorite. I don't have a favorite game, but it's this. Right? Um, I don't like play enough video games to know, but like he has really come to love this game called Untitled Goose Game, where you are a goose and your job is to annoy as many humans as possible. So they'll be like, your next task is take that person's picnic and throw it in the lake. Or like, just like squawk at this farmer until they give up and go inside. <laughs> like, and there's something really like petty and wonderful and like zero stakes about it that I just really enjoy being like this little like goose waddling around, like just like messing up people's days. It's very fun. It's very That's fun. so good. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Oh, amazing. Um, Aubrey, I I'm just so thrilled to be able to meet you and chat with you. Thank you. Just huge thank you for being here. Oh my god, thank you for having me. Thank you for being like a little like island of fat joy. <laughs> in a raging river of like uh boy oh boy so many gnarly questions from so many thin people over the last few weeks i really appreciate it it's like deeply deeply lovely and like also like just listen you got a new subscriber i've listened to a couple of your episodes and i'm like on board this is great this is great oh thank you yeah thanks so much for having me yeah Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. It has been a dream come true talking to Aubrey Gordon. Aubrey's commitment and conviction are deeply moving and I can feel the truth of what she says through my whole body. Just like the poetry of this up and coming poet, Lockie Murdoch. Lockie just released his first poetry chapbook and this poem felt right for my conversation with Aubrey. It's raw and powerful. And again, I can feel its truth through my whole body. This poem is called Ritualized Return. I acknowledge my body for practice. I say, hello, body. How are you, body? I practice really listening. What shape is listening? How do I show it? How do I let my body know it? My body reads rhythm. My body hears rumbling through rubble. My body sees in sound and movement. I practice new ways my body might understand. I stand up and shake. I bend in weird shapes until my body waves hello back. Maybe I really need to try again. Maybe I start a trend for myself, start measuring wealth in second chances. I get rich quick scheme, moving forward, gaily forward, swim, crawl, fall. It's all forward. Gravity will catch me. Greet yourself arriving like a longtime friend you've missed. Pick right back up where you left off. 
Offer to make yourself a tea or a coffee. Find out what it is you'd like. Ritualize your return. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Please do check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.